Hi, I'm Brandy. And I'm Angelina. And welcome to Talk 40 to Me. We're having all the candid conversations you'd have with your bestie. Join us as we unpack life in our 40s and all the questions that led up to this next chapter. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Talk 40 to Me. This is Angelina. And this is Brandy. And we are happy to have you here. I'm going to say we are thrilled today because we have been working on using a word other than excited to describe our level of feelings for every episode. So today's guest was actually not recommended to us once, but twice to come on this podcast. And so we're, we're ready for this to say the least. We want to introduce you to Allison Nail Malone. Allison has been in the human resources industry for over 20 years, and she is the founder of Malone Consulting Group. In 2021, this powerhouse of a woman was awarded Most Empowering Women's Leadership Coach by Acquisition International. I mean, yay. I know. In addition to the incredible business consulting coaching services, and this is what I find fascinating, Allison recently earned accreditation as an end-of-life doula to help the dying recognize the meaning of their life, create open discussion between the dying and their loved ones, and guide the family through their emotions after their loved one has passed. Since then, she started Miseria End-of-Life Services. And you guys are going to want to hear more. So, Allison, welcome to Talk 40 to Me. Welcome. Thank you. We're just so happy to have you here, and I am just... I'm so curious. We have so know. many just <laughs> level of fascination and questions. Yeah. When we were approached about this death doula career, we were very intrigued, but we will get to that in a second. So let us hear a little bit more about you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me here. I really appreciate the invitation and creating the space for today. You know, as you kind of introduced, my background has been in HR and leadership development through executive coaching, training and development. Really, when I first started out in my career, my goal, regardless of the title, was how could I make the biggest impact with the people that were around me? People have often asked me, like, where did that come from? Where's this like significant event in your life? But honestly, it's just kind of a sense that I was born with. I was the primary caretaker of my family growing up. I mean, I've had a side hustle since the age of nine. I've often shared my my origin story as an entrepreneur was I had gotten to a point in in our family where we needed extra money. And I thought, okay, what can I do? I'm the oldest. I'm taking care of my brother and my sister. What else could I do? My mom and dad were working. So I decided to go door to door in my neighborhood. And and I just, the first house I went to, I started picking up trash and weeding their yard. I knocked on their door to say, hey, I just weeded and picked up trash in your, in your yard. You owe me five bucks. Well, who's going to say that to a, no to a nine-year-old kid? And I didn't know any better. And really, we didn't worry about that at that time of like, you know, knocking on strangers' doors. <laughs> so I've just kind of had a side hustle ever since then and have held different you know, businesses, entrepreneurial ideas. And in uh, in 2016, I decided to break up with corporate. I had a really successful career in the corporate space, working from startups to Fortune One companies as an HR practitioner and leadership development coach, and decided I kind of got to the crux of my career of 
do I stay in corporate or do I do this full time? And I decided like, what's the worst? And this is what I ask all my clients too, is like, what's the worst thing that can happen? I can always rebuild. I can always find something to rebuild if this doesn't work out. And it's been super successful. It's been hard <laughs> and it's been really successful. And the hardest time through my business was actually uh, during COVID. While my business grew exponentially, like it grew 200% during COVID. Wow. Yes. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. I guess maybe the great resignation or something. Yeah, I think it's the great resignation. It was, you know, people were reflecting on their lives, like how they wanted it to be instead of the way it was or the way that it quote should be. I think organizations were also what we were experiencing is organizations didn't know how to handle the crises that we were in. So it was a lot of crisis management. And then there's this extreme amount of, and, and I'm sure we'll probably talk a little bit about this, like the stream amount, extreme amount of collective grief that people were experiencing because of all the significant deaths, all the significant life changes that we as a global society were experiencing in COVID. So we worked as both HR practitioners as well as, um, as coaches, but I was able to collaborate with other women-owned businesses in order to serve clients all across the globe. Wow. That's really cool. That's some insane growth. <laughs> yeah. It was a little overwhelming, but awesome too at the same time. <laughs> so how, how did you pivot and end up in, you know, this, this other field? Yeah. So this is all been inspired because of my path. One of the other reasons why I decided to be an entrepreneur is to have the flexibility in my schedule to be a caretaker. So I had an aging dad. Um, I had actually moved from New York City to Northwest Arkansas, where I live today, to be a primary caretaker for my father. And then eventually I became more of his power of attorney of making medical de decisions, housing, resources, all of that. And right before COVID hit, his health significantly declined. And so I was in and out of the hospital with him from the end of 2019 until June of 2020. And then he was put into hospice. And interestingly enough, he has what's called a rally. So he was in hospice. It was only given a couple of days to live. And then all of a sudden he snapped back. And this happens to a lot of people who are on their active dying journey is they have this rally where it seems like they're better. They're more cognitive. They've got color back in their face. And the day after they release him from hospice is when he died in the nursing home. And he died alone because that was also at the height of COVID where you couldn't go into a, a, a facility to be with the person that was in the hospital or in the facility. And I was doing this alone. Like, I, I mean, I had my family, I had my friends, but I was also running a business. I have a 16 year old kiddo, still an active community advocate and member um, in my community. And there were so many resources that I didn't even know where to start. There were so many people that I started talking to about my grieving journey because I just like my, the way that I process is externally and people are like, oh, I, I get what you're saying. Like, it's confusing. It's overwhelming. I can't think straight. I have like brain fog all the time. I'm tired. I feel like I have the flu. And I, this is, this is going to sound a little woo woo. I do not know how the universe delivered it to me, except that I kept getting these emails of death doula certification, end of life certification. I'm like, I, what? I don't, I don't know what that is. 
the only indication that I had something similar to that was when I was um, in, you know, sitting in hospice with one of the hospice centers here in Northwest Arkansas with my dad. They have a program and a lot of hospice locations have this program called No One Dies Alone, so NODA. And if someone in their hospice facility is doesn't have family or for whatever reason, they're going to be alone, they'll have a volunteer come and sit with them. And at that time, that just wasn't available during COVID. They've since then started that back up. And I just found more and more people who were kind of in this, what's um, there's a term called the sandwich generation who are taking care of aging parents or aging family members or f- even friends. And also I'm caring for a family, I'm caring for my community, I'm caring for my career or business. And yet there's not enough resources for me as the individual doing all of that. And I found that particularly women, you know, within the Gen X to, you know, somewhere in the mid millennial generations kind of fit that profile. And I just kept talking to more and more women who are experiencing or who are anticipating it as well. And I thought, well, I'll just see where this leads me. I'll take it. Maybe it'll help me process my grief better. And then I discovered that I really loved it. I loved doing the case studies. I loved going in and helping as a volunteer for one of our hospice facilities here. I found such a joy in being able to be present and creating a safe and sacred space, one for the individual on their dying journey, but also for the families, for the women like me who needed support and needed just a place where one wouldn't judge them, one wouldn't try to solve it for them, but that could understand the same like language and mindset that they were going through. So that's kind of how this even got started, was really inspired by my dad's death. And that's where I find meaning in his death. It shifted everything for me. Wow. Well, first, I'm so sorry to hear about your father's passing and the journey that you had to go through. I'm sure that was really rough. And as many people probably experienced with losing a family member or a loved one and not being able to be present with them, I'm sure that that that's a hard thing because you it's hard to close that chapter because you can't be there. And I know Angelina lost her dad a few years ago and went through very similar things where, you know, having to kind of manage a lot of that, you know, the the management with her mom and her family. So when we first learned about a death doula, I was like, I'm sorry, what? What is that? Because I'm thinking like a doula for birth, right? Like someone sitting at your side. I've never had a doula, so I don't really know what the experience is like. But then it was, there were so many questions like, well, are they helping to prep the dying to like feel more comfortable? And then I started reading into some of the information you had shared about how you help assist the family, but so curious to know about how they came about. And, and I think to add to that question, what has been your experience up to this point in terms of how people receive uh, or respond to the idea of a death doula? Yeah. Like what, what exactly is it? Is what I know where. Yeah, I love that. I what's interesting is when I tell people I I will either say end of life doula or I'll say death doula. It just kind of depends. I try to read the room because for some people, use, using the term death doula can be a little jarring because as a society we don't do death really well. We don't talk about it. We don't. We just don't want to. It's out of our control a lot of the time. So we don't we don't like that to be out of control. And so 
most people react in one of two ways. A very, very rarely do I find anybody kind of in the middle. It's it's like, oh, okay, let me change the subject. Or the other is, oh my gosh, I've never heard of that. Tell me more about that. Like super curious about what it what it is. It's so what's interesting is the the person doing the role, the death doula role, has actually been around for a very long time. It just didn't have a glamorous title to it or a paid title to it in most cases. Like for centuries, people sat with their dying. They they sat in did vigils before there were funeral homes. I mean, people had the death journey inside their homes and there's still cultures that do that today. Um, a lot of the indigenous cultures will let the body be in the home and people will come to the home and sit with the dying, you know, talk with the dying, sing to the person that's actively dying. And then for days, we'll hold that space in the home so that the community can come and share their experiences, support the family. And sometimes there's certain, you know, numbers of days or weeks, depending on the culture. And, you know, I think the term, I don't know that it was called a death doula, but when the slave trade was happening, there was also positions within their community, the African and Black communities, where there is a person designated in their space, whatever, where they were ever living at, there was a person always designated. So when someone, a member of their community was put to death, was dying, there was one person that was always there for that person and for that family. Like, the, And it was considered a very spiritual community-led position. And I see that that's kind of a resurgence of what's happening. And COVID actually is what really inspired more people outside of the indigenous cultures to discover this as an opportunity to really honor the grieving journey and the death journey as well. And so the death doula has a lot of different roles to it. Its primary focus is to support the individual that's going through the dying and active dying process. And where we would love to be is that we would be having these conversations prior to all of that happening so that when that time comes, the family and the individual can be really present with each other versus having to worry about, okay, what are the funeral arrangements and anticipating, you know, what, what's going to happen afterwards? How is death going to feel? You know, all of these things that happen because as a society, again, we don't do this well. A death doula can really hold that space for the individual and the family. So one, there is the end of life planning minus the legal piece of it. So they work in partnership with an attorney or the or recommend attorneys for the family to do like the legal portions of the will. But we have lists and tools and resources and we know how to help families and the individuals have those tough conversations. Because there's also individuals who may be terminally ill who are totally in denial, but the rest of the family is not. So how do I have this conversation with my parent or my loved one? We also just sometimes we sit vigil with the person on the active dying process. We're there to also support the individual for their through their own grief. So someone that is terminally ill, they're going to be experiencing an immense amount of grief, especially if they're younger. But I find that no matter what age that is, that 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 is true. There are some doulas that are fully focused on just children. There's actually now a resurgence, uh, or uh, not a resurgence, but now there's like pet death doulas. And there's all these little specialties that are coming out of it. But see, they also perform legacy work. So this is where they work with the person that is, you know, on that dying journey and tr helping them figure out ways where they could have their legacy left after they 
they die. So an example of this is one of my clients is a single parent. This person has three children all under the age of 12. And this person only has like three to four months left and um, has finally come to a place of acceptance. And so this person and I are working on writing out different stories, creating videos of when you are 16, here are the things I want you as your parent want to think about, you know, creating. Yeah. And so the beauty in that is that it will help the children find meaning when that time comes and that their parent will always be with them just in a different way. That's amazing. So that's high level. <laughs> that's amazing. It, it it made me think of um, that book, The Last Lecture. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've read that by Randy Pausch. It's an amazing book for anybody out there who hasn't read it. But I've had a, a few, unfortunately, experiences with hospice. How do you work with hospice and the nurses in conjunction? How does that flow? Yeah, I this, I think, is still an area that um, everyone's becoming more educated on. The thing about hospice and and every experience that I've had with hospice has really been amazing. I mean, I feel like anybody who works in hospice are like angels on earth. Because... 110% <laughs> agree. Yeah. I saw like, gosh, the nurse from my dad amazed me every day. And she was like a cheerleader. And I never seen somebody get so excited to do what I would not like, you know, it just... They really are. It takes a super special person. Yeah. Yeah. They call that the hospice heart. Uh, yeah, I get it. A hundred percent. I think that was the other piece that inspired me to do this work is the hospice individuals, like the nurses, the doctors, the CNAs, the nurses, aides, the social workers, the way that they dealt with my dad, who is a very cantankerous patient. So they had patience too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, yes. My dad was the one that would just, once he got tired of dealing pe- with people and things, he would take off his clothes and start running around naked. And they knew just how to deal with him perfectly. Where <laughs> I'd be uh, like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. And like, <laughs> what the hell? So, so the way that I do the works in partnership is, you know, our healthcare system, it doesn't, and insurance restricts a lot of the time what our hospice people want to do and could do. Insurance sometimes may run that like number of hours. It restricts what they can and can't do, where a doula can help kind of fill in the gaps. For example, another one of my clients, you know, a hospice nurse can only come in one hour a day. That's just not enough to fully support the family or the individual. A doula can come in as a companion and has unlimited hours, however they want to to do work with the, the families. And they can be there to share with the nurses, hey, today, here's what I observed, rattling breath. You know, they were not as cognizant or they couldn't remember to do X, Y, and Z. A nurse is not going to always know that if a family's not there all of the time with the patient or if the patient doesn't remember. And so we work in conjunction with what the care plan is, and we can provide an extra set of eyes and support. That every time that I've seen a nurse work with a doula, they're like, thank God that there's somebody else here that's willing to do this work with us because we, their patient to nurse load is, it's just as large as like when they work in an ICU, it's, it's, it's a big load to one nurse and any support that the healthcare professionals that I have found 
are always so grateful to have an extra set of support. And also it's a different kind of support that we can be there for the families as well. Again, a, a doctor and a nurse can only be there for so long where a doula can sit with you as long as you need. So in that instance, if you were to sit with the patient for, let's say, several hours, what would be the difference between, and I have an idea of what it might be, but what would be the difference between what you would do as a doula versus someone who is sort of like an adult sitter? So there's some similarities. A doula can do a lot of the same things that an adult sitter or a companion sitter can do. Where the doula comes in is that we are trained and certified to have conversations, to know the signs. We're able to do a lot more education, which is a lot of what the doula does is educate the individual, educate that individual's community on here's the process of what's going to happen. Here's the, you know, questions and conversations that you need to be having. We, while we're not medical professionals, we do get some medical training to understand what's happening with the body so that, for example, um, a sitter may not know, you know, if there's a rattling going on in their chest, that that's a sign of active dying. And so they may not know to call the hospice nurse or to tell the hospice nurse or the hospice care team, I experienced the X, Y, and Z. I hope that answered what you're no, it absolutely does. Because I know, you know, with some family members in the past, like they would have a sitter and they would help them with maybe going to the bathroom or things like that. And so I just wasn't sure if that was like, eh, nope, that's off limits for us. Or yes, we do do that if that's something that they kind of choose to do. Yeah. And in the doula certification programs, usually what they will say is those kinds of caretaking things should be should be done with someone who has medical training. So like a nurse's aide or a CNA, although there's some doulas that do that kind of companionship. It, right now, it's not, quote, regulated like those nursing, you know, or medical professionals are. When we talk about like our accreditation, that we do have a governing body that helps us kind of determine like where is the line for all of that. It is highly recommended that as a doula, I don't do those things unless there's some agreement or there's a lot of uh, registered nurses and retired nurses that are doing the doula. They're, they are doulas, so they can add oh, that, that into if, if they want to. And I've talked to a lot of nurses recently because they see my TikToks and they've been contacting me saying, I, I've got to get out of nursing. Like, I cannot do this anymore, but I want to care for patients. And can you tell me more about it? So I've had just in this last week, I've had 10 different conversations with nurses all across the country Wow! looking for what, what can I do? How do I learn how to do this? I think it takes such a special person to dedicate their life and career to something like this. Like the idea of death and talking about it so frequently, like, I mean, that just like it, it affects your heart and, you know, and I think I would assume that it really takes a very strong person to embrace that. Like, how do you, how do you handle that from an emotional standpoint and a, and a mental health standpoint? I'm still working on it, to be honest with you. One thing I have found, and I, I ref, when I reflect back on this, I wish I would have practiced this more even in the corporate world, because I feel like 
I wouldn't have gotten burned out. I, you know, my perfectionism wouldn't have gotten the best of me. But I, I have to have way more time to rejuvenate. I'm an introvert by nature, so I have to do that anyway. But I have found through doing this, one, I have to have more time to nourish myself than I've ever had before. I've got to sleep more. <laughs> I've got to meditate more. I've got to do more creative things, like have creative outlets. One thing that I have just started really diving into is having a group of other doulas to talk to. So one of the the program that I got my certification at, they have weekly and monthly support group, essentially, of doulas where we can talk about the things that we see, the things that we experience, things that we feel. Uh, I also have a grief educator and grief coach certification, and those programs uh, were done through David Kessler, who worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. He has programs out there that people meet on a weekly, monthly basis to process their grief as well, because every person that I work with, I feel the grief when they die. When I talk to individuals who are going through that dying process, I feel that grief as they're going through it too. And I have to make sure that I'm processing my own grief and not always taking on everyone else's, but I'm highly empathetic. And so I have to be really conscientious about it. I'm still not, I'm still working out ways to make sure that I don't do that. And the whole process cannot be run like I used to in my other business. So I have to slow it down so much more than I did in the past as well. I find this so interesting. And I keep thinking how helpful this could have been, like had I known. So I'm glad that we're talking about this to tell people that this is available because you're right that our age, our demographic, we're getting into that space where we have, you know, more aging individuals in our family. For my particular situation, we lost four family members in just four years. And it was, it's just a lot, you know, and especially when, like for me, I'm an only child. So it was just me and my mom having to, you know, deal with the stuff with my dad. And then not like not even a year later, my granny got super sick. So then my mom had to step up then. So I had to step up and help her then. And the hospice workers were just, I mean, I cannot say enough good things about the aides, the workers, and they even provided a social worker to us up to a year after for counseling and all of that. So at what point would someone say, okay, I think, yes, we have these services, but we may need a little bit more because I know it, it got exhausting sometimes just the the process of having to try to figure things out plus it. So when does somebody kind of make that decision? So it it there's the difference between when somebody does and when somebody's somebody really should be thinking about it. And so right now, most people are it's in their reactory stages or when somebody is talking about it or they're hearing about it like this and they're in that moment of like, oh, wow, I, I have to I've got to have some extra support. Where we're trying to go to is when you start asking the questions and you start realizing um in it, it maybe in this in our demographic it's i see it coming down the pipeline soon like i can see that my aging parents or my aging loved one they're starting to have more difficulty doing x y and z or i'm starting to notice different symptoms or i'm taking to them to the doctor a lot more than i did you know a year two three four years ago this is where you can just start having conversations at a point where it's gentle where there's a lot more openness to it so that you can start planning. I mean, we plan for vacations. We plan for 
when our kids have all these activities, like we do all this planning for everything, when, get- when we're getting ready to have a kid, like we have all of these pl- plans in place. What would it be like if we, you know, if we could start planning that one for ourselves now, and we can shift and change that as our needs and our priorities changes. And then also as before our parents get so deathly ill or our loved one gets so deathly ill, now we have to have, try to have a conversation about all these things that take an emotional toll anyway. And so in the most ideal state is when you start noticing things shifting with your loved one and or if uh, the individual is has gotten that terminal illness diagnosis. And as soon as you get that, before you start all the planning, like finding a partner that can help you through the planning process. I joked with one of my clients, think of me as your personal assistant through all of this. You know, you you kind of move up in the world, you know, when you do this, because now you have this personal assistant that gets to help you through, here are the decisions that need to be made. Here's all the information that I can help, you know, research for you, resources for you, so that you don't have to go do all of that by yourself. And and in the most ideal space is how could you do be more proactive? If that's not a possibility, if that's not accessible or available, it's as soon as you think in your head, I need help. And what if it was like, like, because we, we lost a family member to suicide, and then we also had one to COVID that went downhill very quickly. What if you don't have time to prepare? And if it's already happened, you know, if the, the death has already taken place, yeah. what, is, is that something that you would still step in and help with? Yeah. So death doulas are able to come in and help support you, one, through the grief process. Could also help you with, okay, especially if there's a death by suicide. And the suddenness of that, a death doula can come in and, and help support you in making funeral or viewing or whatever the whatever the ritual is. How can I help you and your family make those decisions? Because it will be such a shock. There's a lot of lot of there's a big pot of emotions that come come with that, as you know. And trying to make decisions while doing all of that is it's like hitting a brick wall all of the time and a death doula can come in and hold the space for the family to make those decisions like guiding you through it instead of you going okay what's the next thing i need to think about what's the next decision where do i need to spend the money where do i need to spend the time who else do i need to let know and you know and then i've got to deal with why did this person do this what what could i have done differently and and so a doula can be there to help support and be a support even with um, therapists that can help walk through that as well. Grief educators and coach have accesses to that as well. Not all doulas can do, will do that, but there are doulas that can provide that additional support after. And then as soon as that person, like in the COVID case, as soon as we know that someone's going downhill, you know, finding a doula is, is depending on what area of the country, to find one in person is one virtually is actually pretty easy right now to find one in person, depending on what part of the country you're in can be a little bit more challenging, like in our Northwest Arkansas area. Well, in the whole state of Arkansas, there's only three of us. (laughs) So there's more that are coming that I've talked to, but I have people that are across the country that I work with virtually as well. Wow. I think that's, I think that's awesome to hear though, because having gone through that, you don't know, like, it's just, you can't even explain to someone the process, especially the after. So to have somebody that could really hold your hand 
because you're kind of paralyzed in the beginning. You're like, uh, yes, I don't know. And thankfully I'm good at delegating. So some stuff I was like, when my dad passed, I would call different family members and was like, can you do this for me? Can you do this for me? Can you help me do this? Like, you know, but I think that's great. Like that that's even an option that people know, like, look, if something happens, you have a resource. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I am processing all of this right now. (laughs) If someone is interested, I think that there are a few questions here. One, how would they go about finding someone and, and researching? Like, how do you research someone to know that this is the right doula for me and then, or my family? And then the second question would be investment in, is there like an investment range that someone should be aware of? Or how do they ask those questions? Because I would think that there's, you know, a lot of families out there that may be able to afford it, or they're trying to figure out, okay, well, do I pay for this service or this service? So how do they, how do they work through those questions? Yeah, that's great. So the first part of that is how do I find somebody? And I mean, it can be as simple as putting death doula near me. And there are several websites that will come up. One of the websites that I recommend, and it's kind of our governing body, is the International End of Life Doula Association. And that's I N as in Nancy, E L D as in David, A.org. And these are doulas who've gone through a, a certification. And then we go through a pretty extensive testing and skills assessment where we get an accreditation. And so that's inelda.org. And that's what I would recommend anyone searching for an end-of-life doula. And it's and you can search it by state on there as well. So that's the first step. There actually there's an actually a growing number of death doulas on Instagram and TikTok as well. So you'll get to know their personal stories. Um, It's where I have found my community in those two social media platforms. I'm sure they're in other places, but I have found that it is a very, it is a quickly growing community in on those two social media platforms. So you can hear more of their stories. The thing about finding a doula is understanding what is most important to you. So what are your core values, your spiritual or religious or mindset beliefs, and making sure that you choose a doula that's in alignment with that. Majority of doulas are, are fairly, you know, neutral, but then there's some that are that are specialized in, you know, a specific religion or a spiritual practice or none at all. And so I think first knowing what is most important to you and who you need to work with and who your family would benefit from working with too. And if they have referrals or anything like that, I think that's going to be most important. I mean, most of mine have come from referrals um, of people that, like you all have talked to two people that already know the work that I do. And so that's how I even built my other previous business was all, all through referrals as well. So the cost and investment. One of the things that I have loved about this community is that we have been hypersensitive and hyper aware to the inequities that these kinds of services have and don't have for all communities. One of the things that I've discovered in this process is that many of the death doulas have the provide the service on a sliding scale from $0 all the way up to like 
I don't know, 750 an hour. I think it just kind of depends on the person and what skills they are. I mean, if they have an RN and they're doing medical on top of death doula, that's probably going to cost you more. And because the death doula is not covered by insurance, which I know hopefully we won't because that will restrict us if we do, but many, uh, there are so many doulas out there that provide our service on a sliding scale based on, on income, on, you know, budget, whether you have a budget or not. I think that's the other thing that I've really loved about this is that we have been so, we as a, as a community, we've been really aware to make sure that we can provide this service from it, from an equitable and accessible service to all communities. You know, what's really cool is that when you think about just the the difference between our generation and our parents' generation and the way we are utilizing technology and resources to think, it makes me hopeful actually for like when my kids have to do this, think about like how much more support and resources and information are available for us and then our children versus what our parents had when they had to go through this. Yeah. You know, because I mean, our parent, at least I could Google things and, (laughs) you know, look stuff up, but like our parents, it was just like, okay, well, you know, good luck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's where we can really thank our younger generations because I feel like it's because of them, we've been able to have more conversations around mental health and wellness. And I feel like because of COVID and, and its acceleration of kind of uncovering and amplifying death and how that impacts our families, how it impacts our children, our schools, our communities. That's why there's more of the death doulas coming into, into place. That's why we're having more conversations about, you know, end of life practices and services. And while people are really being intentional about their life today, it's starting to open up the pathway and the doorway of what I want my life to be like when at the end of lifetime comes. And to your point, I, I think that it there's a hopefulness that knowing that there's all the support available, hopefully this will reduce some of those, you know, like death by suicide, um, which is kind of like a cancer of the brain, right? And so maybe having all of this support where where we don't feel hopeless, where we don't feel lost, that we feel like we've got people surrounding us, like really wanting to to care for us will help provide one, just kind of like that ripple effect of a better, better place, better life, better people. And I just think like, this is just kind of one of those small components to help with that. This has been so insightful. I was going to say insightful. That's exactly <laughs> the word I was Great going to <laughs> Yeah. I, I mean, we'll probably reiterate this at the very end, but I cannot thank you enough for coming on and talking about this. It's, I think for many of us, it's a very uncomfortable subject, right? And the idea of an end of life or death doula, it may also be a foreign concept for so many people. So I'm so happy that we have this platform to be able to share these while it's not new, it's, I think, somewhat new to society and in the sense of like mainstream society. 
and to be able to kind of share this. And thank you for talking about your personal experience and what led you there. Thank you. It's been so informative and eye-opening. I'm so grateful. I appreciate one, you just being open to have these conversations too. I think it's so valuable. And I think, you know, the more that we can have these conversations, not that it's ever going to be easy. I don't think it should be easy. Right. But I think that we can have loving, open and transparent conversations that will prepare us. Definitely. And that really empowers us too, as women, for sure. Yeah. So I don't really know if there's an easy transition into this <laughs> from talking about death to let me tell you something. So I'm just rolling right into Do it. it. <laughs> just go with it. We have, we have too many segments. We've kind of shared a little bit about what those are. And I know our audience has heard us kind of explain that a little bit. So first mini segment is let me tell you something. And as our guest, we would love it if you could share your let me tell you something for the week. Oh, yeah. So let's see. I One of the things that I have really loved seeing pop up the, recently, and it's actually one of kind of my guilty pleasures as well, is this idea of doing junk journaling. And uh, like arts, it's kind of like a creative way to release your creative emotions, get really fun with it. And if I'm, I always wish that I could have been a writer or a journal, uh, but, and I'm not an artist, I can't draw anything. And I have loved getting in, involved in being really creative, getting a, just a note, notebook, magazines, uh, stickers and all that, you know, markers, and then just doing something super creative and, and having that as a part of, of my creative and processing journey as well. And that has created a movement for uh, community events to do that as well, to be able to fall in love with art and that anybody can do. And so it's really empowering. And I've loved seeing that kind of movement happening. I'm sure it's also very therapeutic. Yes. I love coloring. Yes. So calming. Yeah. <laughs> I have, a, I think I have an adult coloring book in my closet. Yeah, I do too. I love it. <laughs> well, mine is that I'm trying out daily harvest and I got a package of like a couple of things, like their smoothies, their breakfast bowls and bowls for lunch. Um, is it like grains and greens kind of thing? I mean, it's loaded with veggies. The one that I had today. You don't seem that excited. Is right? it good? Jesus, it's very hesitant. <laughs> Yesterday's was really good. I had like a black bean bowl yes. and it was, it was different. Like they're all very different because they're super, at least from my perception, I, I don't know their claims, but they seem very, very healthy, like high veggie content. Today's was um, Angelina, I think you would have liked today's. For me, it was a little bit of um, of a different taste, but um, but I felt good because it was loaded with veggies in it. But then I had a cookie after. <laughs> got to balance it out. <laughs> you got, I mean, there's, that's, you know, you deserve a cookie. I love cookies so much. <laughs> <laughs> you really do. I feel like every time it comes up, you're like, mm, cookies. <laughs> yeah, I'm just... I mean, I'm eating them to get them out of the house. So that way I can get back into my low sugar routine, but they're here. So they need to be eaten. Did you try the Siete Bonuelos for the holidays? No, I think I might've had it a previous year. They're more like a little 
like a little like a chip and a cookie sort of oh hmm. i don't know it was a holiday thing don't worry just pretend i didn't say it since you're trying to like clean up your your kitchen but i am i'm really excited about the daily harvest bowls they're Oat bowls look really yummy. They're, you know, in their breakfast bowls and then um, their smoothies. So I will keep you posted. Keep me posted. My, let me tell you something. Actually, I related it back to the topic. So, so much better than me. No, I mean, I think we, we need, you gotta, you gotta mix it in, you know? Right. <laughs> Someone gifted me a book called More Beautiful Than Before by Steve mm. Letter, uh, Leader. I don't know how you say the last name. It's L E D E R, it's on Amazon. And it is, he's a rabbi and it's just, a. it's got short little chapters that give you insight into the grieving process and actually like seeing the beauty in, I mean, you do have to be somewhat spiritual. I'm not Jewish, but like the idea of the afterlife and what happens in that process. I just found the book super helpful and it's small. It's not a big book and you can take it in very small doses, you know, like almost like a devotional. You do like one small a day and it was really helpful for me. And then when a coworker's father passed away, I gifted it to her and she said how much she really enjoyed it. So super helpful book. Speaking of books, I was trying to look it up just now, but when we lost one of our pets, not lost, we, you know, I had to put, had to put her down. Mm-hmm. One of our neighbors gifted us a book. I think it was called The Rainbow Bridge, but I, but the one specifically that she had, when I was looking it up, apparently there's several books called The Rainbow Bridge, but it was such a beautiful book. And they, um, it really helped us to read that to the boys, to mm-hmm. our kids. And even now they ask us to read it to them. I think I might've gotten that one for my kids. I think it might've come recommended from someone. So Yeah. I second that one. So we have um, our last segment is really to get to know you, Allison, so people can know more about who you are. We call this rapid fire, even though Brandy and I talk a lot, so it's not always rapid. Rapid fire. We do our own sound effects. Love it. So our first question is, what is your go-to guilty pleasure? I read three books at a time. Like all, like all, all at once. once? Like you have a stack <laughs> on your nightstand or something? I have books everywhere. And I buy books that I don't even read because I just like the smell of them. I like I the way it too. feels. Like I love the energy of books. Like, And my poor husband thought that he, he would be really smart and get me into the book of the month club so that I wouldn't go to like Barnes, you know, to any of the bookstores. Jokes <laughs> on him. Exactly. We just had that conversation. He was like, I literally got you the book of the month club where you can get like two or three books. I'm like, yeah, but like how fast do I read through those? It's like, okay, good point. So like I had bought a whole nother book. So I have stacks of books Wow. in every room. <laughs> and you don't get the endorphins of going to the bookstore. Like I exactly. just, the feeling exactly. of going yes. and like grabbing the book and smelling the book. And yeah. Like, and like seeing all the different variety that's out yeah. there. Like, I love it. I love well, it. Well, you can see it. behind me. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously I'm a book lover. And so my granny, she was like super fast reader, crazy wicked fast. And um, when she passed away, my mom and I started going through all of her books. When I tell you, she had these two bookshelves that almost like a floor to ceiling kind of bookshelf my grandfather had built and they had probably six or seven shelves 
standards pretty wide and they were three rows back it was like That's a freaking mini library <laughs> she had so much stuff and then so when I would open some of her books she would write her name and the date because she'd read books multiple times so yeah. I know which is a great thing for me to have so now I still yeah. like some of her books I have and it's got you know she, her handwriting in it and I love that but I'm like how did you read this like ginormous book three times I don't <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a fast reader though. Like it's hard for me to find the time. So I applaud you for being able to like get through a book that quickly. It's, it's my ADHD. <laughs> I love it's, it. Yeah. Yeah. My second question is if you could live anywhere for a year, where would that be and why? I have always wanted to be in New Zealand. When I was a kid, everybody would have, you know, like the boy bands and Michael Jackson posters, everything. I was the big fat nerd that got the Nat Geo magazines from my grandma and I would pull out everything about New Zealand and have that up on my wall. <laughs> Isn't it supposed to be very safe? It's yes, it's very safe for women. It's super like I love the Maori culture as well, like the Maori people. I love the greenery of it. You know, that's where all the Lord of the Ring movies were. Uh, well, they're in Canada and I think Ireland as well. And I just, I just love anybody that I've ever met from New Zealand. I have just like adored. So that's where I would love to be for a year or more. One day that will happen. Maybe retirement. Yes. Even would be great. Um, yes. <laughs> if you could choose the perfect way to spend the day off, how would you spend that day? Hiking. I love to be outdoors. It's kind of like my medicine is hiking. We, my, my family, we'd go camping, glamping. Let's be real glamping. Yeah. I don't camp either. <laughs> uh, to like all the national parks is one of our favorite things to do. And here in Northwest Arkansas, we, and, and central parts of Arkansas, there's like beautiful hiking, beautiful waterfalls. So beautiful in yes. Arkansas. I yes. know Brandy and I both did a trip to Sedona. Um, <sighs> And separately, just, but not together, but yeah, I went and then they went and we, we both fell in love with it. It's just, some, yeah, uh, mm -hmm. it's so like that, whatever they say about the vortex. Yes. I believe it. I, I used to be a tour guide that used to do things like that in Sedona for several years as I cool. did those vortex tours and did nature tours. And my favorite group was a group of nuns from the UK who swore the whole time because the, the Jeep was real, you know janky up and down the, the hills, but it was the best tour group I ever had. <laughs> That's awesome. So hiking and reading. I love it. Hiking and yeah, hiking and reading are like my two favorite things. Awesome. This question I love because it's, it, I think it's, it's also especially good for people that may be younger listening, but if you could give your younger self any advice, what would that be? I didn't need all the self-help books that I bought for myself. <laughs> I think that we, what I would have loved to say is like the, the insecurities that I had was completely normal. And that as I would grow and mature, those things wouldn't be as important anymore. And the things that we think are so important and so intense in that, you know, in my younger tenured professional or in my younger tenured self, it, it's just, you know, if I could spend more time with the people that I loved during those ages, uh, I wish I could go back and do that. Because all of the other stuff that we see on TV and social media, which, you know, growing up, I didn't have that social media, but 
as a younger adult, I did. And if I could have just pushed that away for a little bit and spend more time with my loved ones and to spend more time, like just self-care and nourishment and not depend on self-help books and things to, de- to determine whether or not I'm healthy or determine like I have to do these 10 steps to be a better person. Like I, I get to do that. I can do that anyway. I think that's important. I can't imagine being a female, especially growing up in today's society with social media. I wouldn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah. we put enough pressure on ourselves. Yeah. So I yeah. think that's great advice. <laughs> 100%. So Allison, this has been so wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. And I appreciate both of you and, and both of you holding space. And thank you for being open to hearing this conversation today too. Thank you. I think our listeners will definitely get some value out of this conversation. And so on that note, if someone wanted to follow you or learn more, where do they go? You can find me on Instagram and on TikTok. It's uh, on Instagram. It's Allison, A-L-I-S-O-N-N-A-I-L hyphen Malone, M-A-L-O-N-E. And on TikTok, it's Allison E-O-L doula. And then I, my website is my Myseria, and that's M-Y-M-I-S-E-R-I-A.com. Fantastic. And we'll have all that linked in the show notes. Yeah. So go down to the show notes and you can go straight to her social handles and her website. Thank you so much, Allison. It's been a pleasure. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Angie. Thank you, Brandy. I think this will really help people. So even if it's not something they need right now, like in stored in the back of your brain. So when you you need it. Come listen. Yes, absolutely. Well, thanks everyone for joining today. Thank you. We look forward to connecting with you again next time. And as always, follow us on social and we will have all the amazing links that Allison has shared with us in our show notes. Have a good one. Cheers. Thank you all so much for listening in. And as a member of our community, we want to hear from you. Follow us on social at Talk Forward to Me podcast and share your feedback on today's topic. How is the conversation relevant in your life? And is there a topic you'd love to hear us discuss? On that note, cheers to aging gracefully, living life to the fullest, and enjoying another day with your besties in life.